Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Culture is critical in any business. Even if you're a company of one person, it's just you, you do have a culture. You may not think about it in that way, but you do have a culture and it's important to know what that is. If your business is larger, and especially if your business is growing, culture is critical because it can change in an instant with the wrong hire or not knowing what your culture is so you don't know who to hire. We're gonna talk a lot about culture, what it means, and how with the right culture, you can be a big business but still act, feel like a small, well-knit, tight community of a business. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Appreciate you being here with me. I wanna thank C-Suite Radio for hosting my show. I also wanna thank my sponsor, The Wine Ambassador, which is America's fastest growing wine club. So those of you listening to this episode in Australia, I don't think we're there yet, but um, it may be coming. If you want wine delivered to you, go to wineadam.com. It's a great way to get boutique wines shipped directly to you without taking the chance of just picking something off the grocery aisle. Um, so definitely check that out if you're a wine drinker. So today's guest is the founder and CEO of The Physio Co., a unique healthcare business, not only ranked number one on BRW's list of Australia's 50 best places to work, but has also made that list for 10 consecutive, year, 10 consecutive years. They believe we spend such a huge part of our lives working that we have to find a way to really enjoy it. And my guest is passionate about sharing what is learned. And he does so through his blog and podcast, as well as through speaking opportunities at conference, corporate events, and podcasts like this one. In his book, Culture is Everything, he shares his system for building a great place to work. And we're going to share some of those steps today. Tristan White, I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of this with us. Hey, Adam, thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about just culture in, in general and then culture in specific. But I want to learn a little bit more of how you got there because the, your journey, I'm sure, is very specific as to how you identified culture and why it works and why sometimes it doesn't. Tell us a little bit about your path to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. It's, um, I think an important part of my story is that I wasn't a kid entrepreneur. I didn't um, start businesses when I was at primary school and high school and the like. I, um, I finished school and I went to university or college and I studied to be what's known here in Australia as a physiotherapist or a physical therapist in, uh, in the US. And I finished college. I got my first job as an employee physical therapist and I started working towards my dream career or what I thought was my dream career at the time and that was to be a physical therapist in the elite sports uh, environment the, the sexy part of the industry to be honest Adam that's where many physios really wanted to, to focus on and definitely me in my early years and uh, so I started my career working in a busy group of private physical therapy practices and in the evenings and on the weekends I got to work with an elite underage under 18 AFL football team, that's Australian rules football. And, um, and I really thought I was on a path to becoming a, a specialist technician in the sports physical therapy uh, world. But I had a, uh, a very early head versus heart 
challenge or, or, or concern for me, Adam, and that is that my head was telling me I was in the right direction for my career. I was working towards becoming a sports physical, physical therapist, but my heart was telling me that I just wasn't doing what, what would make me satisfied and make me feel useful in the world over a long period of time. And, and so I had an early pivot, um, Adam, and that is that I, I stopped working and, and aspiring towards becoming working in a sports physiotherapy direction. And I realized, I, I reflected deeply on what I really enjoyed and what I thought was a real opportunity for my career. But I think this is where the entrepreneurial spirit started from, Adam. I saw an opportunity to build something significant in the world of working with older people. And old adults is where I, I pivoted my career to, which is very the very ugly duckling part of the physical therapy world and healthcare world compared to the sexy industry of, of sports physical therapy. And um, Adam, I, I started a small part-time job as a physical therapist working with older people. I got busier and busier myself. I then had more work than I could handle and I started to employ other physical therapists. And it was by building this physical therapy uh, practice around helping older people to stay mobile, safe and happy that I discovered the need to, to build a strong team. And when I dug deep into building a strong team, I got to this idea of a strong culture that we could design and build as a foundation of a, of a strong team over time. And, and so that's the backstory as to where I come from there, Adam. Well, it's, it's a fascinating transition because working in the uh, sort of the glitzy, you know, professional athlete world, where obviously you're doing very different things to super active people have lots of pains because they're banging into each other. That's a rough sport from what I've seen about on TV yeah. to working with older folks who may not, I'm guessing, be able to get out of bed or may not be able to walk very far or, or sit or stand for long periods of time. Was that a transition that happened in, in your heart sort of overnight or was it a slow progression over time in what you were doing and finding a new thing? Mm, it was definitely an over time progression, Adam. It's, um, and I didn't fall out of love with, with working with professional athletes and the, and the aspiration of doing that. Um, but slowly but surely, I realized that I thought I could be more value to older people who may be only functioning at 40, 50, 60% of their capacity to be able to stay mobile in their own home, to be able to get themselves to appointments to, for um, one really important goal, especially for, for females, for grandmothers, is to be able to get down on the floor and kneel down on the floor and play with their grandchildren. And those really important things for them uh, became more and more important to me to help them live their best life as opposed to professional athletes who have got such amazing dreams to, to run faster, to win championships. But I just felt like helping older people to live those, their best life and achieve those meaningful life goals was more valuable for me to serve the world than to help someone to run faster, jump higher, tackle harder. And it was that progression over time that helped me to, um, to, to make this pivot, despite the fact I was terribly embarrassed by it. Um, Adam, I, I barely told a soul when I transitioned to working with older people because I'd told the world or anyone that would listen that the glitzy professional athlete world is where I was headed. And then all of a sudden I was doing something much more hidden, much uh, less, uh, less glamorous, that's for sure. That's interesting. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that because it, there's a lot of us that want to do something and we may be very good at it, but it's not fulfilling. And something happens, we meet the right person, we, we have the right opportunity, and it takes us in a direction that 
everything feels better. And it sounds like you were there. Was this a, a, a like a one-time thing? Did you help a, an older person and this springboarded you or did you think about where can I use my talents to better society for lack of a better term? Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, entirely, entirely. And, and Adam, I'm a, I'm a believer that sometimes if we don't know where we should be going, at the very least, we should, we should rule out the things that we shouldn't be doing or, or that don't feel right. And, um, and something that's, so I, I didn't have a, a life-changing moment with an older person that I could help um, that really defined it for me. But what I did have was a, I'd committed to working for this, my, my first, in my first job for a period of a couple of years, for, for two years, my first job. And I was doing, um, this is in the elite sports and, and private practice of physical therapy work. And after one year, I was working with my employer and, and they were wanting me to, to renegotiate and recommit for another two year period. And it was that, that time, Adam, that I, that I was thinking that, you know what, I, I've committed for two years, I'm, I'm willing to do that, but I don't want to, I don't think it's right for me to commit for another year on top of that at this early part of my career. And so I opted to not renew that, uh, that second year of, or, sorry, renew for another two years. And, and that conversation, that um, relationship ended up uh, us parting company because it wasn't what they wanted and what I wanted wasn't aligned. And by me deciding that, no, I don't want to continue on this elite sports path for an extra year, helped me to take some time out to reflect and realize that working part-time initially with older people was the right step in that direction. So it was definitely a gradual, a gradual moment, but by ruling out what I didn't want to do, helped me to get towards what I, what I wanted to do, Adam. Very cool. And, and during that interim period, so your, your contract's over, um, money's not coming in, you found something that you're going to do part-time. Was there any of you tugging you back to what was safe and what was easy financially rather than continue on this path? Or did you shut that part of those thoughts out of your head and continue to, to forge forward? Well, Adam, interesting, interesting question because I was young. I, was, I didn't have a lot of commitments in terms of life or or wife or kids or the like at the time. So I was very fortunate from a financial perspective to be able to take some time to, to focus on what I, was, I wanted to create. Um, and that word create is really significant because as I left my full-time job as a physical therapist, which had a, a, a company car as part of the salary package, and I was very, my, my early job was very well remunerated. And I left that job, I initially moved back home with my parents as uh, with a, after five years of university and no job and no real direction. And then I, I moved to this 12 hour per week, part-time job in an aged care home. And um, at that time, Adam, my mother was very much in the camp of, well, this is all well and good, but how about you get a real job? <laughs> and, uh, and she continued to say, hey, hey, Tristan, what are you doing? And my response was, was mom, I'm going to create something. I'm going to create a job. I'm going to create a team that does something useful in the world. And, and she would say, that's all well and good, Tristan, but how about you get a job while you're doing it? And that was, we now joke about this all these years, years along. But for me, no, I was committed to, to really building something significant. And I was fortunate enough to have some time and space in my life. But there was pressure from other directions. And I could easily have folded and, and gone back to a salary position. But I, I really was focused on making progress on this, uh, on this business building. It's interesting because I moved back home after I went to university and then I went to Europe for a year and a half and worked there. And then I came home and 
I needed some place to live. So I went back to my parents. I was there for three days before that was, that was enough. And it was time to, uh, to go get an apartment and, and move on with my life. So it sounds like you lasted a little bit longer. And <laughs> when you were working on this part-time job, um, in the back of your mind, were you saying, all right, I'm going to create, you just said, I'm going to create this team. But did you say, all right, I'm going to build a business and go out on my own? Or were you looking for people to partner with? How did that transition to starting the company happen? Mm, so uh, what I did, I, I, I finished that first job. I had a short sabbatical, if you, if you will, um, uh, bunking up in, um, in my old, uh, in my parents' house. And I started this 12 hour per week job. And at that point in time, Adam, I was, I was sort of looking around for, was there an existing physical therapy practice that I could buy or I could partner with to, to sort of, um, uh, I guess, build on the momentum that someone else had already, had already built. And I really thought that starting from scratch wasn't necessarily my first option. It was buying an existing physical therapy practice. And as I looked around, I just couldn't find, find an option that suited that I loved, that I that was in, in my direction and that I, that I wanted to achieve and also that I could afford because I was young and, and um, I didn't have a lot, of, a lot of money to my name at that point in time. And so I decided that I would build firstly a job for myself and that was a very important lesson for me and for anyone that's starting a business in my experience is that first things first, you have to build uh, enough work and enough uh, of, a, of momentum in of revenue in a business to be able to replace the salary that we could get from working somewhere else. And that was my first priority. And then once that happened, I was really focused on building a team of people that were attracted to work in this team, to work with older people and to be valuable in the world. But I really, Adam, if I, if I thought, if I stretched my mind as far as I could, I really thought it would be six, eight, 10 people maximum is the amount of people that I would grow a team to because in my mind, that's how big a physical therapy clinic or a physical therapy team was at that point in time. And so uh, in short is that, yes, I wanted to build a team. It was going to be a relatively small team, but that's what I was focused on. Okay, great. And so you, you, you get enough business, obviously for yourself, you get enough business to start to hire people and bring people in. So I want to pause there for a second. When you first had those people, was the formation of a business happening or was this a small, was, I guess, was the formation of a bigger business happening or was this a small company? Like, were you beginning to think bigger? Were you working on the numbers? Were you doing the marketing? How did you think about building the bigger business once you had the group going? Uh, so, so Adam, it was very much a, um, it was, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. There's, there's no question about that. I'm a physical therapist turn business owner, turn employer of, of people. And, and I, I was very fortunate in that early, that first year or so of creating this job for myself, which then expanded into a business to have a, a mentor an experienced semi-retired accountant who really did help me to, to build out a business plan and to think through, about understanding the, the ideas of more money in than money out, a very basic concept in business, but, um, but it's important that you get the handle on it pretty early. Uh, and also the idea of, of how to, to build out an organizational structure. And so, yeah, I was doing some planning, but it was very much a fly by the city of your pants type of approach. And everyone was, being, was reporting to me. I was the manager of all the team members. I didn't think through 
what was the right number of team members to report to a certain person. I was also trying to continue to be a clinical physical therapist with a, with a caseload of patients along with leading and managing this team. And, and that worked all well and good for a few years, but it did come to a, a pretty big bottleneck and a pretty big stuck moment in time a few years in. And that's when I really had to dig deep into what are they, what, how do I scale this and how do I really organize it to be a thriving business? And I kind of knew you were going to say that. So I'm glad you went in that direction. So, uh, so you get to this point where now you go from physiotherapist, you're working in the business. Now your job needs to be working on the business because you have clients that rely on you. You have employees that rely on you. You have payroll to make, you've got contracts to fulfill. That transition personally for you from employee owner to business runner, CEO, president, whatever you called yourself, how did that feel in going through that transition? It felt scary as hell, Adam, <laughs> I think is, is the summary. Uh, and I think partly because it was, it was newfound territory to, to position myself in, 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 that, in that play, in that position, but also learning how to, how to be a CEO and a leader was a big challenge. Uh, so there's, there's that part of it, but there's also the part of it that comes with uh, the personality profile of many physical therapists and many healthcare professionals and technicians in other, um, other industries as well is very much that of a perfectionist. And perfectionists uh, typically feel like they, uh, they need to have all the answers. Uh, perfectionists typically have to um, find themselves as micromanagers and perfectionists uh, find it very hard to let go and to provide uh, space and time for people to, to really own their jobs. And I was absolutely in that category as a physical therapist and a technician. And so learning to let go, learning to trust people, learning to communicate clearly, and for me to get on with leading the business and growing the business, as opposed to managing every detail and every part of the system was a really difficult transition for me to, to, me to make, Adam. We're talking to Tristan White here on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast, talking about his journey from independent practitioner to having a thriving business. And you said that it, it was difficult for you to let go, but, but you had to do so in order for the business to grow. But you, with your physiotherapist, you had to have a tremendous amount of trust in what they were doing, how they were doing it, that the systems were working in order to to take that next step. And a big part of culture, and I led at the beginning where even if you're a business of one, you have a culture. Did you see a culture developing that allowed you to step back or did culture come next? Culture definitely came next, uh, Adam. Uh, but I think you, in the, in the opening of this episode, you, you, you mentioned that uh, teams, whether you realize it or not, every team, every business, every community group, every family has got a culture. And we can either have a culture by default when we simply let it happen under its own um, wishes, or we haven't have a culture by design where we actually put time and effort and energy into building a strong team culture. And firstly, at this point in time, after five years of leading the Physio Co, uh, I didn't even know what culture was, uh, let alone how to, to build a culture by design. We definitely had a, a caring connected culture looking back, but it was certainly one by default. And at that moment, Adam, I was really stuck. I had about 20 team members. They were all reporting to me. I felt like I was being reactive all day, every day. And I wasn't able to sustain the managing and reactiveness 
um, with the leading and growing the business that I, that I wanted to do. And so I, I took a short sabbatical, which was another scary as hell moment because I felt like I was the glue that held this place together. Uh, but I, my fiance and I took a three week break. Uh, we came up your way into North America and we did some research uh, on some seniors healthcare businesses that were much more developed in, uh, in, our, in our industry. And one was called Nifty After 50, a chain of, of um, gyms for older people. And another one was called Nurse Next Door, which was based in Vancouver. And it's very much a home care nursing service. And from those businesses, I really could see and understand the values-based culture that they created to really empower their team to go out into all these different locations and deliver services was in a similar industry to what I was doing. And so I came back to Australia energized and I could now envision how putting a system in place which empowered people to do great work by, uh, by um, building a culture by design is how we could move forward from there. And Adam, interestingly, from that moment in time, I've obsessed over learning about what is a strong culture and a culture by design. I've learned, I've made mistakes, I've made some changes. And in that 10 years from 2009 to 2019 or now 2020, uh, our team grew from that 20 team members right through to more than 150 team members that we've built over that decade, which has been powered by this learning of, 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 and applying a strong team culture. Well, congratulations on the growth and success. That's awesome. When, when you came to North America to, to research these businesses, was culture on your mind or was business structure, was business, um, I guess, understanding the main goal? Like, what, did, I guess the question is, did culture just pop up as part of your research that's something you had to build or was it in the back of your mind that's something you had to do? It certainly wasn't high on my list of priorities to check it out, um, Adam. I, I, again, I don't think I even understood what a team culture was at that point in time. It was definitely, uh, dare I say it, I learned about team culture by default by um, trying to figure out how these uh, businesses, which were more established, had organized themselves, how they'd started, started how they'd grown, how they'd communicated. And I think communication was something that I was really struggling with and something I learned a lot about because as a leader, Effect, really our most important job is communication in a one-to-one -one and one-to-many way. And I, I was really stuck as to how I could become a, a better communicator because I felt like I was eternally reacting to other people's messages and, and demands. Uh, and so the answer is no, I didn't go looking for team culture as a real focus, but I came out realizing that to build a, a business, I need a strong team and to build a strong team, it turns out that a strong culture is a really critical part of that. And, and, and now you're able, through that learning, through that experience, you're not only able to, to hire the right people, keep your culture intact, you need a strong culture to be one of Australia's top 50 places to work, which is, which is no small feat. And in that, Obviously, you've pulled out some key learning, stuff that if you had known earlier in your career, you would have instilled earlier. You, maybe you got a little bit lucky with some of the people you hired, but how do you do things differently? What are the steps that you look for in your own business and when teaching and coaching others to develop their culture? What are some of those steps? Yeah, so Adam, over the, over the years, in the, in the 10 years that we've been ranked as one of Australia's 50 best places to work, people have continued to ask me, how do you do it? How do you build a strong team fueled by a, a empowered culture? 
And in the early days, I used to answer that question with a long drawn out answer that only really made sense to me because I'd lived the experience and it wasn't, I didn't communicate it very clearly. Uh, I then worked backwards from there. And what I did was I, I documented the steps that we'd put in place to build a stronger culture in our team at the Physio Co. And it turned out that there were 19 steps that we'd executed over a period of time to build a really strong team culture at the Physio Co. And so the first thing I did was to document those 19 steps into a culture is everything checklist, which uh, we, we certainly use in our business to make sure we're keeping all the steps alive and well, and also share it with other people so they can firstly audit their own culture, see what steps they've got in place and which steps are missing that they could focus on next. And then I went to the next level of um, breaking that down into the four parts. So really, Adam, the, there are four parts in my experience to building a world-class culture. And those four parts are firstly, discover the core. And that is a, a strong culture needs to be very clear on their core purpose, their cause or their why, as Simon Sinek might call it, and have a really clear core purpose. And so at the PhysioCo, our core purpose is that we exist to help seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. And a really compelling, clear core purpose is the first part. And secondly, a set of three to five core values is a really important part of setting the behaviors, the expectations, the, the, the dare I say it, the rules for the team members to, to, to live by. So discover the core is the first part. Document the future is the second part, Adam. And that's about vision. It's all well and good to know who you are and how to behave, but if you don't know where you're headed, then it's really it's a real it's a missing piece. So a very clear vision that you uh, implement both in a long-term, ten-year sort of horizon is something that I, I think is really important to have a long-term vision, which can be more general, and then a shorter-term, three-year vision to be to be executing on quickly. So discover the core, document the future. The third part is called execute relentlessly. And this third part, Adam, is really about living your own rules, living your own system, keeping alive a very robust recruitment system to make sure you're using a multi-step, multi-person recruitment process to make sure you're attracting the right people and repelling the wrong, the wrong people, critical to get the right people in and the wrong people out. Uh, and Adam, the last part of the, of the four-part system is show more love. And it's critical that as uh, people building a strong team culture, we are thanking, uh, praising and providing great recognition for people who are living our core purpose, living our core values, helping bring the vision to life and attracting more team members. Uh, we, we really do need to make sure we're doing that both professionally for work-related successes and personally to make sure that we understand what's happening in the lives of our team members in a non-prying but more supportive type of way to have a, um, to have a really connected team. So they're the four parts. Discover the core, document the future, execute relentlessly, and show more love. That's awesome. And, and as part of those, those four parts, you've got your 19 steps. And you can get those 19 steps if you go to tristanwhite.com.au slash MBA. tristanwhite.com.au slash MBA. You can learn more about those 19 steps. Tristan's giving it away to everyone who listens here to learn those and we're going to talk more about that in a second. But I want to bring you back to step three, which is, in part, some people aren't going to get it. They're not going to fit. When you came back from, from your trip and, and researching other companies, you understood that culture was critical. You started to build the culture. You had 20-plus team members. Were there some that 
didn't fit, that just didn't understand what you were doing and had to go? Entirely there was. And that's, I'm really pleased that you, you raised this, Adam, because uh, at this time when I was, I was stuck myself and I was really challenged by how to lead this company and I found a, a really clear purpose, values and vision were, were a critical part of, of what I needed to, to build. But at the same time, there were 20 odd other team members who didn't see the challenge. They didn't see that there was a problem. From them, they had a job, they were turning up, they were doing what they needed and wanted to do. And so when, when I released and communicated this, this now better defined um, vision, especially, and purpose and values, uh, I, I clearly recall there were, there were 20 team members at the time and a vast majority of them, and, and that was 17 of the 20, were, were very much aligned and they're like, yep, I got it. Thank goodness. I'm really pleased you've actually given us some direction because it was, it was really darn hard to work around here without the, the expectations being clear and the future being sort of painted out. We can now work towards that. Um, but there, was, there were three team members who were pretty unimpressed with the fact that I'd gone and changed the goalposts as to what, uh, what behaviours and also what direction we were focused on compared to what they thought they were doing. And so, Adam, that was tough for them and it was tough for me. And so I had one-to-one -one conversations and meetings with all 20 of the team members to, to clarify the expectations and to make sure that we were aligned um, initially after this was released. Uh, and with those three that weren't so keen on, on what was the future of our business, there were two of them who, who fairly quickly decided that, hey, this is not for me anymore. Things are changing around here. I, I liked it the way it used to be and they, they found themselves a new job working somewhere else. And there was one of those, of those three people that, that were, was very keen to, uh, to dig their heels in and to say, hey, hang on a tick, this is not what I signed up for, we should go back to the old way and were effectively fighting the, the change, if you will. And that was tough for them and tough for me. And we worked through it over a, a few months and, um, and, and finally we, we did decide to part company, um, but that was a really tough, tough time and tough change, Adam. So yeah, it's changing the goalposts is a really big thing. And it's something that I learned the hard way through that, um, that transition. And I bet a lot of people listening have, have either been through it or are going through it. And because most entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs in, in the, in the world don't necessarily get the credit they deserve for doing good, right? A lot of people go into business and they really do do good. Some people think it's, it's a money grab or it's very capitalistic, but a lot of entrepreneurs do good. So they've got employees that just don't fit. They don't fit the culture. They don't get it. They're never going to get it. And it's sometimes not through their own fault, but we want to fix them. Like we, we as, as leaders, as business owners, as employers want to fix them and help them get it. How do you know when somebody is quote unquote fixable and they're going to become part of the culture versus they're never going to get it and they're the wrong fit? How do you make that determination? And probably now that you have 150 plus people and have had to hire people and fire people, you've probably learned something along the way. How can other people better figure out whether this is somebody that's worth the gamble or whether it's time to, to help them find something better? Mm. So Adam, a very important rule or guiding principle for recruitment that we use now is that a maybe must be a no. 
and when I when I say that is um, maybe maybe this person is the right next fit to join our team. Maybe they'll work out. Oh, I'm not sure. My gut's telling me that things aren't quite aligned here, but I think we'll give them a go. Uh, that that's a maybe, and maybes almost never work out to be aligned, strong members of, of a team. In my experience, and so I, I tell you that story because. If there is a consistent level of engagement and progress and it's taking some time for a person to, to align themselves to the behaviors ex that are expected, but they are learning, they're growing, and they're making progress towards where you'd like them to be, then that's someone that, that, that is a good opportunity to work with you and become a long-term member of the team over time. If there's someone who is up and down and you can trust them for a period of time until you can't trust them. And then we go back to the start and we have a deep conversation around it. And then we set expectations and it sort of goes all right for a while. And then they go missing for a day or a week or a month. Uh, and we have this up and down environment. They're the ones in my experience who are not going to make it. And so a level of trust, a level of consistency on what you expect of them is what is what works well. If you've got people in your team who are, going two steps forward, one step back, and you're giving them chance after chance after chance, I would encourage anyone listening to lean in, be brave, and decide, is this person really working out or am I just hoping for the best for them and for, and for myself? I appreciate that. And I've got two quick questions left. One being, where does leadership end and culture begins or culture ends and leadership begins or how do they work hand in hand? I think... Adam, they work hand in hand because to be a leader, you need followers. And for followers to know where, what's expected of them when the leader is not there to say, hey, go over there, come with me over here, this is what to do. We need culture, which is a clear, clearly communicated expectations of how to not to do everything, but how to solve problems, how to engage with people and how to, to make sure that people can find their own way in, the, in this path. So in my experience, a leader helps to set a strong culture, which allows a culture of followership. And I'm not talking about a, a culture of followers who are sheep, who, who blindly follow. I'm talking about star followers who question things, who contribute, who find their own solutions to challenges and help to bring the vision of the leader to life. I love that. And I appreciate that because it's interesting because a lot of us want to be leaders and that becomes a culture and it becomes almost a cult of personality. Um, which is not what we're going for, right? That's a very different type of model. So with your 19-step program, obviously we can't go through all 19 steps here, but what are people going to get? What are they going to learn going through that process and, and learning from you so they, they can start this path for themselves? Yeah, so Adam, the, the 19 steps to building a great place to work is are the steps documented on the culture is everything checklist that people can get themselves a copy of. They can also read it in the culture is everything book. Um, and, and what you're, you're alluding to there as well is there's a 19 week online program to help people implement, firstly learn and then implement these steps in their business. Uh, but if they want to build a, long, a, a strong culture that, that over a long period of time, then I will help them to do those important steps of discovering that compelling core purpose and really documenting those, those core values and vision. They're the big pieces of the puzzle, Adam. Uh, however, 
for people that are ready for some quick wins, they've, they've got, a, got a business, they've got a, a team, and they've got a bit of a dip in their culture, and they'd like to get some quick wins on the, on the, on the board, so to speak, then I point them straight to the, the, the bottom part of the culture is everything checklist, which is the show more love part of the section of, of the system. And I encourage them to really show more, more recognition than reward to the team members because business owners think that sharing money and prizes and holidays with their team members is often the way to build culture. And in my experience, it's completely the other way around. It's recognition. It's a genuine looking someone in the eye or sending them a personalized note to say, I love what you did with that client. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Uh, that's one part of it. Secondly, do you have a generous budget to show your love for team members and their families when bad stuff happens at home? This is really important, Adam, is that we need to have our ears to the ground to make sure that if bad stuff happened in people's lives, and unfortunately, um, people do pass away, bad stuff happens, people get ill, um, relationships end, all this sort of stuff. Life happens, and to have a strong culture that's empathetic to team members but also is sustaining over a long period of time we need to be ready and willing to engage and show our support and maybe send a bunch of flowers or, or whatever is appropriate to people going through tough times and so it's from the biggest things of discovering the core and documenting the future all the way down to the smallest things of a of a budget for recognition and reward for the good stuff and the not so good stuff Showing the love. That's a, that's a great way to wrap up. I really appreciate the knowledge, the time, and just opening up sort of your information database, what you've learned in your career. Thanks for sharing it with the audience. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Adam. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Look forward to having you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.